0: Morning. I'll hop back in to our screen share and we will begin in Luke chapter one. You want to hop over to Luke chapter one? Sorry, Luke chapter two. Just kidding. We are in Luke chapter two and um, two wonderful songs, three wonderful songs there that we got a chance to sing. Um, you know, with something like a song like Set a Fire, one of the powerful aspects of it is the repetition. And um, sometimes I think repetition helps us. Every time you repeat that that verse, it helps to soften the heart. And then the beauty of "I'm a poor wayfaring stranger" is that I think it's it's a different kind of song, um, but it allows us to think about I think about soon I'll drop the cross of self-denial and enter on that great reward, um, and to have that that future perspective of of where we are going as Christians. So. Anyway, two beautiful songs. We're going to complement it this morning with the holy scriptures in Luke chapter 2. We've already set the stage in Luke chapter 1 with Mary, with Elizabeth, um, and their wonderful news they've received. And now we will continue with that news coming to fruition in Luke chapter 2. I'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. I do not have it up on the screen. So if you're waiting for me to change the slide, it's not coming, sorry. So if you want to pull up Luke chapter two, verse one, we'll begin. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was given the name Jesus, and the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the story. This is the great story of Jesus' birth. Um, that we often look at during times of Christmas. But here, I guess we're having a bit of a Christmas in July or late June, rather. Um, but here we have the, the the story of the birth of Christ. Um, and one of the most powerful things about this passage is verse, verse one, the very beginning. And it, it, verse one establishes uh, what's, what's the setting of this story. The setting is the Roman Empire. The greatest, one of the greatest empires in the history of the world, and not 50 years before the birth of Christ, a man named Caesar Augustus becomes, uh, becomes Caesar, becomes ruler of all of Rome, and he does something that nobody else does before him. He gives himself the title Divi Filius, which is on, uh, a, on many coins that many archaeologists have found from the time. What does Divi Filius mean? Uh, what does it mean? It means the son of God and caesar himself fancied himself a god and and even the verse here luke says you know how he was you know how legit he was you know how influential the roman emperor was he had issued a decree of taking a census over the entire roman world you know older translations used to say the entire world because that was kind of how it was it was seen at the time was the romans really ruled the world and whatever uh, augustus says in rome italy Uh, happens in a backwoods town in Galilee. So he begins to have the census taken. Uh, Joseph is a part of the house of David, so he returns back to his family's uh, village there in Bethlehem to await the birth of this child. Now, even though he and Mary were betrothed, they they were not yet married. And betrothal was a very serious thing. It was even more serious than an engagement. It was basically, you're basically married, except you haven't consummated the marriage quite yet. And so other versions talk about how actually Joseph had in mind to divorce Mary quietly because he, he actually was thinking about divorce. You're thinking, well, if they're engaged, how could they get divorced? Well, that's how serious betrothal was. But the angel encourages him to stick around because, you know, what's going to happen is you guys are going to give birth to a son, and it's going to be the divi phileus. It's going to be the actual son of God. So right here in Luke 2, we had a battle. We had a showdown of two people who consider themselves the sons of God. One rules the entire world, and the other is born in a uh, stall and has no crib, so he has to be put in a feeding trough, wrapped in in cloth, right? So you can see the difference between between the world, the world's image of what power and kingdom is, and then God's perspective of what true power, of God's true spiritual kingdom, and that contrast exists to this day. You know, there's a, a wonderful uh, poem called Ozymandias. And this is the end of the poem I've put here. It says, and on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare. The lone and level sand stretch far away. This is a, a, a poem about somebody in a desert who comes across a statue perhaps one like I have pictured there. And it's the statue that the, the traveler is trying to figure out, who is this statue? At some point in history, this was a really powerful dude. And the inscription beneath says, look on my look on my works ye mighty in despair. Of course, thousands of years later, the traveler is able to kind of laugh and look around and go, where are your mighty works? What did you do? And the, the, the power of the poetry, the power of the message of the poetry is simply that time makes sand of us all eventually like from dust we came into dust we shall return that we all will be like ozymandias no matter no matter what power we think we have um, and soren kierkegaard says uh, it is the normal state of the human heart to try and build its identity around something besides god i think what's happening here in this contrast of jesus the son of god and caesar the son of god the question becomes who is the real powerhouse? For who is the real truth? Um, and, and Soren Kierkegaard talks about how each of us has an empty human heart and, and, and when we begin life, and it, you might call it an ego, right? We have an emptiness in us and we spend the rest of our lives trying to fill that void. And we're all filling it with someone or something. Um, there's An ego is really just this idea of emptiness and our, our hearts matter. And we live in a world that, that, that maybe, that cares more about, less about your heart and more about your actions. Just be a good person. I do good, just volunteer on weekends, you know, say the right thing, do the right thing. But the reality is, is that the heart is actually, the the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? The heart matters. And I think what's happened too recently with all this pressure going on and and really every aspect of life, whether it's economic, uh, social, political, uh, having to do with with our health, uh, finances, all these areas are putting pressure and so all, for a lot of us, our real, our real hearts are coming out, right? Um, when everything is going well, it's easy to kind of say, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. See you Sunday. See you Wednesday. Bye. But now there's a little bit of pressure. And so a lot of people's hearts are coming out. And you know what happens when someone hearts come hearts come out is you get to see what was in there. <laughs> you get to see what was in their heart the whole time. What were they building their identity around besides God? you know and and i think that really strikes at the core of all of us um what are we building our identity around who is our who is the other son of god in our life uh maybe that we we're giving our allegiance to you know uh, what was the problem with the church in corinth do you remember why was there so much division in Corinth? so much factioning it was because of boasting and bragging um pride of the heart leads to division of the body of Christ. And so if you're seeing division, it's usually a good indicator that it's coming from a place of pride. You might call it ego. You might call it self-focus. Tim Keller in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness says, it is quite possible to do all sorts of morally virtuous things when our hearts are filled with fear or pride or a desire for power. The condition of the human ego is empty. It's empty because it, it, it points to the center of the human ego. The ego that is puffed up and overinflated has nothing at its center. It is empty. It is empty. Uh, one of the ways he talks about this is how people use the word feelings. People often say, well, my feelings are hurt, right? Uh, you hurt my feelings. Sometimes when someone, someone says that, what they're, what they're really saying, because Keller, Keller notes that feelings can't really be hurt. It's just an expression. What we're often sometimes saying is that our ego is hurt. My identity is hurt. Um, our, our feelings are usually fine. It's, it's the identity that that's that struck. And, and what's happening now, I think, is that we're all seeing, uh, for a lot of us, who who is our identity built around? Um, if your identity is built around being an American as opposed to being a Christian, if it's built around being a father instead of a Christian, if it's built around being a you know architect or engineer or historian if it's built around your success if it's built around your romance if it's built around your finances you see where i'm going and a lot of these come out and we're all this is all a risk because i think the key is fear the key is fear and it's easy now is it now is a time it's easy to be afraid i'm afraid there's a lot of fear out there Of you see businesses closing you see uh you go on the internet you see people fighting getting in arguments right? You see it turn on the television. You see, you see people uh, capitalizing on fear to make money, uh, to sell a story. Uh, fear is, is, I think, what drives our, our need to build our identity around something that we think will give us structure, something that we think will protect us. But if you ask Ozymandias, a lot of people may have built their identity around him, this great king, and look at him now, <laughs> right? And time will make fools of us all, so the question is, it's a very important question. Um, from dust we came to dust we shall return. What are we filling ourselves with? Is it something that's gonna make us feel secure for a couple days or a couple weeks? Or is it something that's going to uh, uh, last time immemorial? You know, and for, At this time, it was the Romans. You know, when, when Caesar Augustus becomes Caesar of all of Rome, he says, now we usher in the Pax Romana. That means the peace of Rome, right? How did Rome achieve peace? Well, at the edge of a sword, violence, a lot of killing, a lot of divide and conquer. They were the original divide and conquerors, the Romans, uh, wherever they were, whether it was Asia or North Africa or Europe. Um, And they said, the way you can show us that you love us is to pledge allegiance to Caesar, right? I pay homage to Caesar, to the Senate and the people of Rome. Um, And what does Luke tell us in Luke 1? So there was this guy, Caesar, and he was a big deal. Okay, yeah, and he had the entire world, you know, do what he wants. But little did he know, and Luke puts it in there, right? Little did Caesar know that he was actually serving the purposes of the true God. He set up this, this decree, and, and he didn't even know that he was allowing Jesus to be born in the exact place that we always wanted him. We always knew that the Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem, didn't we? We always knew he was gonna be from the family of David. We knew it, didn't we? The Messiah, the Lord. Look at the words that the angels use. He's the Messiah and the Lord. The Messiah because he fulfills the Jewish expectation of the Savior of the world, but also the Lord. He's the, the curios. He is the true Caesar. But it's also a little bit funny because how? Look at the type of people that Jesus's uh, birth is being announced to. Usually when someone is born, whenever a, a new Caesar was born in Rome, they would send these heralds, these people on horseback across the entire empire to share what's called an uh, evangelion, which is the word for evangel- evangelism. They would share the good news of the birth of a new Caesar or the good news of Rome conquering a new territory or the good news of Rome submitting a new population under their thumb. And do you know who's there? To welcome Jesus into the world? Who's, who's Jesus' herald? Who's Jesus' minstrels? It's shepherds. And shepherds, by the way, were one of the lowest classes uh, in Israel from a Jewish perspectives. They were, not, they were not the upper crust. They were the rejected lower class of Israel. Jesus being born to a woman who would have been seen as a woman who conceived out of wedlock. You know, a lot of a lot of you know when you say something it's not just what you say that matters but how you say it right like if i tell jenny i love you in a sarcastic voice that's that's going to do more harm than good because of the way i say it and when you it's not just about how, how what you say it's about how you say it and i want you to look at this passage look at this story and not don't look at what's it's saying like jesus was born i don't know what it says look at how god has chosen to announce the reconciling of the world. Look at how God says what he's saying. Romans 5 says that at just the right time, Christ died for us, just the right time, in just the perfect way. God actually speaks in the exact way that he always wanted, which was to show us what he cares about, which is the oppressed, who he cares about, which is all people, not those with power, not the oppressor not the winner you know people always say be on the right side of history i don't i don't know what the right side of history is except to be on the side of christ right because scripture is timeless everything else is subject to to this right everything else is coming down baby look at ozymandias he didn't make it <laughs> um but look it's, it's the shepherds it's the shepherds. And why would that be important? Because they're in Bethlehem. Why are shepherds in Bethlehem important? It would have reminded anybody who had knew their Old Testament, even a smidge. Oh, you know who else was an Old Testament shepherd? Gosh, it was David, wasn't it? It was David, the original king, the original guy. You know what, the, you know what God says about David? He says, you know what? Don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, speaking about Saul. God does not view things the way men do. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, the Lord, when he sends Jesus, when God sends his son, he wants us to remember something about David, to remember that God has only ever cared about your heart, that he does not see you and subject you to the way that the world divides and, and sees people in class or in age or in gender or in financial ability or lack of inability, or he sees you as his offspring. And he sends Jesus to be born to a woman, a young lady at a place in Bethlehem that reminds us of another guy. You know, actually, when this verse happens in 1 Samuel, about like eight verses before David goes up against Goliath. Another contrast, look at Goliath, this big scary dude, he has all the power. We should put our trust in him, right? Because he's big and strong and powerful and mighty. No, he's just another Ozymandias. David says, I will defeat him because the Lord will grant me victory. Nothing can deliver us from this moment, brothers and sisters, except Christ. Nothing, no country, uh, not an improvement in our resources of materials. Um, you know what will deliver us is God, is it's Jesus. And the question for us is, is, is what's happened in these last six months? Is, is it going to divide? And if it does, it's, it's because I believe we had allegiances that were other than God. If we are divided, it's because we have a higher allegiance to something other than Jesus. That's simply the reason. It's, that's the only way it goes. If we if we all submit to Christ first and foremost, far and away, before everything else, then I think we're going to be okay. We won't be like Ozymandias. We will be able to sit with Jesus at, at the right hand of the Father, and be able to be able to uh, achieve the resurrection, as Paul says it. Look at Mary. Isn't Mary awesome? Mary's always killing it, right? Um, It says, Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. know that word treasured means preserved. You know, these things, it means that Mary didn't understand, but she she treasured what she heard. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, you may not understand everything perfectly. And I I want to encourage you, don't put pressure on yourself to have to. You may not, no one's going to understand, you know, everything about the coronavirus tomorrow right? No one's going to understand everything about racial injustice tomorrow. No one's going to understand or know everything. We, we have to always have a heart to learn, always have a heart to listen, and always have a heart like Mary to treasure and ponder things in our heart and to, to, to always to, to take, a, take a cue from our God, take a cue from God who, who pursued the birth of Christ Look at the way the gospel is announced. It's in gentleness. It's in kindness. It's in the middle of the night. Nobody knows. And it's to the humble. This is the gospel that we need to be daily filling ourselves with. is gentleness, kindness, humility, the fruits of that thing called the Holy Spirit. I probably shouldn't say thing. That great person uh, of the Holy Spirit who wants to fill you with peace, patience, kindness, joy, and self-control and love. These are the hallmarks. That is how the world is supposed to know you are a Christian, not because you pledge membership somewhere, but because the Holy Spirit has marked you with peace, patience, kindness, love, self-control, and humility. These are what it is to be marked in the image of God, not to try to make your point, not to try to come out looking good or sharp or winning. Not to even avoid conflict by just being a people pleaser and saying what you think people want you to say because you want to avoid pressure. Even that, right, is filling yourself with this identity of people pleasing. But to daily fill ourselves with the gospel, with Jesus. And the world that Jesus entered was a world just like our own. You know, I, I, it saddens me when, when, when we stop reading the Bible in times like the times we're in. Because we think oh it doesn't apply. I think that just indicates that we have a gross misunderstanding of the world that Jesus entered the world that Jesus entered and the 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 incredible inequities of that world. And yet God chose Jesus uh, to inspire us to be an example, not just in his birth and in his death, but in his life as he touched the man with leprosy as he ate with sinners. As he, he, he had said, Zacchaeus, come over to my house, man. Salvation has come on this house. You too are a child of Abraham. Come on, Zacchaeus. Jesus is life. Don't forget the gospel that we heard. Don't forget the words you said at your baptism that Jesus is Lord. Don't forget what we're doing. Don't forget what the mission is. You know, we can be like Ozymandias. You know, I didn't actually arrange this with Steve and Eliza. They're going to read the exact same scripture I read, but or I'm going to read the same scripture they read, but let's remember that we have someone who is not like Ozymandias, whose statue will never be thrown down, and that's Jesus Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I see you, Caesar Augustus. That's a little shot at Caesar. I see you, Caesar, the name that is above every name and to the name of Jesus that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's everywhere, right? and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Church, let's not forget where our allegiance lies and let's give our hearts to him daily. Let's fill ourselves and fill our identities with Christ and let our conversations be marked by listening to one another in gentleness and humbleness and not just saying something but saying it in a way uh, that is going to also convey love the way that God has done. You know, Jesus entered the world heralded by shepherds, the lower class. He left, he, he, he resurrected. You know who was the first to see him resurrected? Women. Were women's uh, testimony um, admissible in court back then? No, they weren't. So you can say from like a strategic perspective, oh, that's a waste. Why would you have women be the first to like, Uh, see Jesus as he rose from the dead, you couldn't even use their testimony in court because God does not give a care about that. He doesn't see the world the way that, that, that people do. You know, that it is women who are the first to see Jesus and testify to his resurrection. It is shepherds who are the first to meet the baby Jesus, that we are all God's offspring. And like Paul writes in Galatians 3, there is neither slave nor free, you know, there is neither Jew nor Greek, um, There is neither male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that we don't have differences. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't appreciate our differences. It simply means that we all enter into this family of God on equal footing. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.